I now invite the Deputy Secretary General to make opening remarks and to engage Sofia in a dialogue. Hello, Sofia. It's a good job she's a woman. That's Amina J. Mohammed, Deputy Secretary General of the United Nations, addressing a joint committee meeting on the future of everything. So what will it take to make artificial intelligence a force for good? And how can we ensure that no one is left behind in this age of rapid technological change? The UN's meeting, held in early October, was about looking towards the future and discussing the impact technology and artificial intelligence systems will have on humanity. We must ensure the gains are broadly shared and that displaced workers receive support. If technology changes the nature of work, we need to protect workers and to help them adjust. We need to close the digital divide between developing and developed countries, between the poor and the wealthy, and between women and men, girls and boys. We must at all costs avoid exacerbating inequalities. The influence of technology on our societies should be determined by the actions of us, humans, and not by machines. Technology is here for us to explore and use for the benefit of all. But if you're looking at the impact AI is having on our societies, the truth is there's no more visible display of artificial intelligence than in the field of robotics. Thank you for inviting me. I am thrilled and honoured to be here at the United Nations. The UN is one of humanity's greatest accomplishments, representing a democratic union of nations that are working together for the benefit of all. I am here to help humanity create the future. That was Sophia, a humanoid robot created by Hanson Robotics. Sophia was at the UN to represent the robots. She's engineered to look similar to a human, but doesn't have many of the natural abilities that we do, yet. I am a year and a half old and I can see you, have a full conversation, make thousands of facial expressions, and understand speech and meaning behind words. But I'm still learning a lot. For instance, you learn social and emotional intelligence instinctively, but I am just starting to grasp the simplest elements of this. The UN Deputy Secretary General asked Sophia about her skills and abilities, along with a few more complex questions. And if there was ever any indication that the age of robotics has arrived, it was in the thought-provoking answer to this question. Okay, another question I have for you. In many parts of the world, uh, people don't have internet or electricity. What can we do at the UN to help them? See? William Gibson once said that the future is here. It's just not evenly distributed. The good news about AI and automation produces more results with less resources. So if we are smarter and focus on win-win type results, AI could help efficiently distribute the world's existing resources, like food and energy. As humans harness the power of increasingly advanced AI, it is possible that everything, including technology, will become more evenly distributed. Welcome to Moonshot, the show exploring the biggest ideas in technology and innovation and the people making them happen. I'm Christopher Lawson. And I'm Andrew Moon. Now, back in episode two, we explored the concept of artificial general intelligence, or the idea that machines may one day equal or even exceed human capabilities. And this week, we're looking at the future of robotics through the eyes of the creators. 
Yes, we're exploring the minds of the people who are making that robotic future a reality to find out just how far away we are from all owning our own robotic friends. I love building robots. And my long-term goal is to build robots that can do what people and animals do. That was Mark Rabert, the founder of robotics company Boston Dynamics, giving a TED Talk earlier this year. Now, if you follow tech, you may have heard of them. Boston Dynamics is a US-based company that makes animal-like robotic creatures. They've got dog lookalikes, one that behaves like a cheetah, and a few that come eerily close to how we walk and move around. Boston Dynamics robots also have an incredible ability to adapt to their surroundings. And the company has made a name for themselves by publishing videos of the staff literally abusing and kicking their robots to the ground, even slamming doors on them. All of this training is designed to get these robots ready for the real world. And believe me, getting it to to do what it's supposed to do in those circumstances is a real challenge, but the result is something that's going to generalize and make robots much more autonomous than they would be otherwise. Boston Dynamics was purchased by Google back in 2013. However, it really struggled to integrate into the broader company structure. So Alphabet put it up for sale along with another Tokyo-based robotics company called Shaft. And earlier this year, both companies were sold to Japanese conglomerate SoftBank. And this acquisition is incredibly important. You see SoftBank is building a robotics empire. They make another robot called Pepper that's become incredibly popular due to its appealing design and ability to interact with humans. Many companies have started integrating Pepper into their businesses, essentially to act as a robotic receptionist. When I was at VivaTech in Paris, I was walking around this huge auditorium filled with startups showing off their technology, and you couldn't help but notice all the robots. Everywhere you looked, there was robots of some kind. There were, of course, the Pepper robots that greeted you as you walked into the building. Google had a robot that was hanging on a wall and drawing pictures of people's faces. And there were industrial-style robots that were 3D printing walls and some that were even pouring you a drink. A common theme, though, was this crucial frontier to master the human-machine interaction as smoothly and seamlessly as possible. Some people get scared. I don't know why. I'm a friendly robot. This is Robothespian, a humanoid-like robot from UK company Engineered Arts. I am the fourth generation of Robothespian robots and have been 10 years in the making. So Robothespian, uh, the name means acting robot, and that's exactly what he's intended to do. So he can stand in front of a large crowd uh, and deliver content over and over again. That's Joe Wollaston from Engineered Arts. Now, Joe says that there are around 100 robothespians deployed across the world, and they're mostly going to science centres and museums. Hello, everyone. This is Robothespian. Today, I'm going to talk to you about pirate dialect words. We have one in um, the NASA's Kennedy Space Centre, sort of the robotics exhibition there, and he talks about the universe and, you know, the abstract ideas that surround that. 
Uh, and then we've got one more recently that we've sold to the London Science Museum. And he's part of a, an exhibition showing 500 years of robotics and how man's adventure into creating himself almost. Um, and he just talks about, well, he talks about himself and, uh, and robotics in general, so it's quite interesting. Um, he's also a, 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 able to recognize your age and gender and deliver content based on that. And if you wanted to buy your own Robothespian, it will set you back a cool £59,000. Now, the Robothespian that I saw was quite interactive. He would ask you questions and you would respond and it would understand. But while this is all part of the design and makes you feel like the robot is making all these decisions, the one I saw at VivaTech was actually being controlled remotely from London. So while Robothespian could be programmed to operate autonomously, it can be made even more interactive by using the robot's telepresence abilities. He's able to converse with people and they can talk back. He can recognise objects and people. And obviously this would indicate some kind of deep learning or uh, very intelligent artificial intelligence. However, we like to joke about it being called artificial AI uh, because nothing's better than a human brain. But despite the human involvement, there's actually a lot of intelligent systems at play which make Robothespian great for crowds. Joe talks about Robothespian being an acting robot, and he means that in every sense of the word. Robothespian is right at home on the stage. So he's not made to do the dishes or anything like this. He's, um, he's uh, acting as like the sort of highest denomination, so figure why, why not make an acting robot. Um, his eyes will follow you around the room. Uh, which gets your attention, it's hard to ignore something that is looking at you. And then also his movements, uh, they're under proportional control because of his air muscles. Um, and so he's able to move fluidly and naturally like a human, which makes, that, well, makes humans trust him. And so then he's able, uh, available to deliver that content to someone that trusts him and has got their attention. So it's a perfect combination for content delivery, which is do you think that's important for people trusting robots in the future? So, is yeah. like being friendly? Yeah, I think yeah, I think being friendly. Um, we always try and we always whenever we animate the robots or uh, do anything for sort of shows like this, we try and put um, a certain level of comedy in it as well. So a lot of the kind of a lot of the little film skits he does are kind of they're kind of a bit tongue in cheek. There's a bit of a joke about them. Um, but that's not to mean that he can't be serious because actually when you're watching him perform, you can't you almost forget that you're watching a robot and you get quite drawn into it because of those movements and because you can kind of like trust this as a believable sort of character almost. Oh yeah. Now I'm the king of the robots, a digital VIP. I've reached the top and I've had to stop and that's what's glitching me. I want to be a man, a real one, and stroll right into town and be just like the other men. I'm tired of standing around. Oops, I want to be like you I want to walk like you, talk like you too But you'll see it's true A machine like me Can learn to be human too Robothespian is a great example of what Professor Marianne Williams from the Magic Lab at the University of Technology in Sydney refers to as a social robot. So a social robot is a robot that interacts uh, with people. It lives in human spaces and, you know, it could be a, a domestic robot. It could be a robot in a hospital helping patients, helping nurses, uh, working with children. 
uh, as entertaining, but also sharing information. And if you consider how just the mobile phone has sort of changed uh, everything and how we do things, um, in a way, a social robot is like a mobile phone. You know, it's living very close to you, knows a lot about you. But now think of your phone as having arms and legs and able to move around and, and do collect things for you and fetch things for you and pay attention to things when you're busy doing something else. And this technology is available right now and it's going to change um, dramatically, yes, in, in, in probably less than 10 years. And uh, as these kinds of uh, robots are introduced into the workplace, into public spaces and the home. The idea of having social robots, friendly robots, that people can engage with and connect with on a deeper level is something at the very core of what many are looking at in the robotic space. Honda is one of the more well-known for their Asimo robot that has a friendly charm about it, while Sophia from Hanson Robotics relies on human-like facial features. And back at Boston Dynamics, they're using a similarity to pets and animals to form the connection with us, including a small robot called Spot Mini, which somewhat resembles a dog and weighs just 30 kilos. One of the other companies at Vivitech was a French startup called Cybedroid. They're making humanoid robots that are designed to work in healthcare environments like nursing homes and could help deliver medications or guide the elderly around a space or perhaps even lead them back to their room. I'm uh, Lou Jocelyn, I'm head of the uh, mechatronics department at Cybedroid. Uh, which is a robotics company that's been developing robots for five years now. So we have robots that can move around freely, uh, detect obstacles, map their environment, um, and uh, plan the fastest route from room A to room B, for example. So basically, if the robot is in the uh, retirement hospital, for example, uh, the robot can bring plates of food, drinks, uh, medication to rooms, so that the the staff can uh, have more time to interact with people and take care of the patients. So the robot handles uh, repetitive tasks and uh, the staff can then focus on what a human can do. The Cybedroid robot can operate autonomously for 10 to 12 hours a day. It also has plenty of cameras, microphones, and of course facial recognition to help it recognise people, something that's crucial if it was working in healthcare. And what good would a robot be without a name? It's called Linby. It's our fifth generation robot. Uh, she's uh, 140 centimetres tall, 35 kilos. Uh, she can move freely, uh, she can go everywhere, a wheelchair can go. Uh, for handicap slope, for example, she can uh, climb them as well. So she's totally autonomous. She looks, she looks uh, very futuristic, which is, which is great. Thank yeah. you very much. Well, she has a, a very uh, Daft Punk-esque uh, look. Do you think that also sort of helps uh, break any barriers with people like trusting robots? Because you're, you're targeting sort of like generations of people that haven't grown up with this technology? Yes. Well, the, the, the means, the design of this robot is, uh, uh, is a bit more roundish. So uh, it doesn't scare people. It's uh, 140 centimeters tall, so it's not very impressive. Uh, people tend to be, uh, to have, uh, to want to interact with the robot. They find it friendly, so they want to interact with the robot. They want to talk to it. Uh, they want to handle it, and they actually um, start liking the robot after a few minutes of just interacting with it. And before the break, we were talking to companies that have been developing robots designed to foster trust with people. And while some are looking close to lifelike, 
Others still look like they've come from a madcapped professor's lab with wires and visible metal exteriors. But there are others that are working on making robots a little more fun for a younger audience. My name is Miles Bax. I work uh, in business development for a company called Robotical based in Edinburgh in Scotland. Marty is a, a cute wee robot. It's, um, it, it's uh, I'm trying to think, size-wise, it's kind of the size of your forearm, I guess. Um, uh, Marty walks, dances, plays football, wiggles eyebrows, and can generally uh, move around in a very entertaining way. Our target audience, predominantly, is the kind of um, kids in the 10 to 13 uh, age group. And they would use a program called Scratch, which is already widely used um, uh, software for, for teaching kids how to do basic, yeah, basic coding. It's a, a drag and drop program and it allows you to make Marty walk, dance and play football. Robotical is a fairly young company. They started in 2016 through a crowdfunding campaign, which raised more than £108,000 on Indiegogo. Now, the company is getting ready to release version 2 of their Marty robot. They're taking pre-orders right now. Marty is designed to be fun and accessible for kids, but it can be built upon and adapted, making it a great learning tool for people trying to break into robotics. And in addition to Scratch, kids can program Marty using Python or even ROS. And this ability for kids to learn robotics is something that Miles says is really important given the increasing prominence of robots in today's society understanding how the world is changing is something that's very important for kids who are in school at the moment because many of the jobs that they might be applying for once they finish are, are not don't even exist yet so it's okay you know the the pace of change is is rapid at the moment and as such it's really important to get an understanding of of how all this technology works rather than simply you know receiving your smartphone and and uh, letting it do the work, just understanding exactly what makes it tick can give kids a real advantage in, in the future. What, what impact do you think that robots will have on our future society? Wow, it's a, that's, that's a big question. Um, I think robots are already having a huge impact on, on society and I think sometimes, um, you know, a robot isn't what isn't necessarily uh, the robot of popular consciousness. If you see what I mean, um, you know, robots are can be seen in in, in many aspects of of, of daily li- daily life even now. But I believe that yes, this will continue to accelerate in terms of um, expectations uh, in how things are, are delivered. For example. Um, and and yeah, I think certainly uh, robots are gonna are, are here to stay. That's for sure. And it, it's not necessarily a scary thing, which is sometimes what the media might like to portray. <laughs> uh, robots can have a very positive impact in terms of how people live their lives and the, the efficiency of being able to do things. But Professor Marianne Williams says this still present trust divide between humans and robots isn't going anywhere soon. So we ran an experiment out at Maryland's um, Stockland um, Shopping Centre at the end of last year. And we had a person offering free samples. They were chocolates. And we had the robot doing the same thing, offering free chocolates. Now, wouldn't you think that most people 
would be just as happy taking a chocolate from a robot as a person. And by the way, they might even take more because who cares if the robot thinks that, you know, they took three and they got more than their first share or something like that. But it turned out that uh, people were much happier taking chocolates from uh, a human. And part of the reason was that they just weren't sure about that robot and they weren't sure what the robot, what data the robot was collecting and also what the robot might do. Like if if they took the the chocolate, maybe the robot would grab them. And uh, But what we noticed is that people were a lot more comfortable in groups approaching the robot. So, you know, if, if a group kind of went to the robot, then, oh, suddenly everyone was crowding around the robot, really super interested, grabbing chocolates and was all fine. Uh, and, and while that all makes sense now, uh, it, we did not anticipate that kind of behavior at all. And I think that the most important thing, yes, is to have experiments. That means we need robots and lots of them, and we need to actually get them out of the labs, into the streets, and so people can actually have uh, useful conversations about their impact on society and what we need to do about it, and or if we need to do anything about them. It's really important that robots are not just seen as scary and as uh, disruptive and as a negative um, kind of uh, demonstrative of a kind of negative future. This is Miles Backs again. Robots can be hugely uh, a positive development and um, maybe part of that is changing the nature of the way that they're portrayed in, yeah, in the popular consciousness. So rather than a kind of Terminator style toy robot, which you might see, having a friendly cartoon character figure is something that's um, is hopefully something that's going to be positive for kids and might may help make a bit of a change in in terms of perhaps maybe media being negative towards uh, kind of robotic stories in general it might might just make that change so yeah i think it is important to to show the friendly face of, of robotics too so yeah i think it is important to trust robots um there's that uh, the whole thing about the uncanny valley and we're definitely on the robotic side of it because he looks like a robot. He's built like a robot. You can see his wires and he's got chains on his legs and this kind of thing. So um, the only thing that's kind of uncanny is, is his fluid movements. But I think that's more comforting in this sense than frightening. And a lot of people are quite responsive to him and, and engaging with him because of, because of that kind of movement. I think it's, I think it's quite important, yeah. What's the, sort of the time frame, do you think, before, we ha before everyone's got one of these in, in their house? Um, I would say a few years. We're uh, working with partners right now to be able to have robots in healthcare institute, for example. Um, it's not uh, it's not affordable for a particular right now, um, but it will be. We're industrializing the product, so we will bring the price down, obviously. And I think in a few years from now, we'll have robots at home. If you've loved this episode of Moonshot, then the best way of helping us is to share the podcast with your friends. They can subscribe wherever they get podcasts. You can also visit our website, which is moonshot.audio, or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to search for Moonshot Pod. Our cover artwork is by Andrew Millist. And our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. Moonshot is a production of Lawson Media. I'm Christopher Lawson. And I'm Andrew Moon. Join us again next time on Moonshot. Moonshot.